Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Before my mom retired, she was an architect. Then she worked in nonprofits. But sewing was always her side hustle. She made prom dresses for my friends, but she is notoriously late for everything. So she would literally be stitching minutes before prom. Why people came back to her for her gowns, I have no idea. But nearly one-third of Americans have a side hustle, and according to CareerBuilder, African Americans are more likely to have one when compared to other races. Considering the pay gap, side hustles are a way for black folks to increase their incomes. But after the pandemic forced people to reevaluate their lives, many began working towards making their side hustle their career. But that brings a set of challenges often exclusive to black communities. You're listening to Beyond Black History Month. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. As a kid growing up, I did use a lot of my babies and make door clothes. That's Tamika Blunt. She's a stay-at-home mother of four and runs her own business. She makes and sells handmade crochet dolls on Etsy. It's called Tammy B Creations. Her dolls come in a variety of brown shades, 21 to be exact. She also makes clothes for the dolls. Tamika has been doing this since 2015. Self-taught, but it started as a hobby. Picking up my craft that I dropped years ago. As a black woman and a mom, she knows the importance of representation. And from there, I started realizing, okay, let me incorporate what I love, what there is a need of, and Put the two together. But make no mistake, it is a lot of work. Multitasking is an understatement. Sometimes it includes me picking my son up from school and while I'm in the carpool lane, I'm answering emails. Between a husband in the military and their children, time management is essential. And for Nisha Prasad... Hey, just a quick little nail video. Her struggle isn't necessarily time management, but whether it's time to take her hustle into a full-time career. Nisha has always been into long nails. I've always loved claws. I would faithfully go get my nails done every two weeks. It's just been my thing for years. But beauty kind of went on the back burner in March of 2020. 
COVID-19. Coronavirus pandemic. More reported cases of the coronavirus. When the pandemic happened, I wasn't able to get my nails done anymore because the salons were closed and I missed my claws and my nails were growing off my fingers and I was like, I need to do something. I thought about maybe making press-ons. Which is very different from what she does for a nine-to-five. Nisha is a middle school teacher. I was a little afraid to go for it because I was a teacher and I didn't know how things were going to go and if I would have time to, you know, even pursue it. But when an opportunity came to invest in her passion more seriously, she went for it. It's actually pretty funny. I was playing on a slot machine and I said, well, if I hit over $200, I'm going right to Amazon and I'm buying everything I need to start. And I actually ended up winning a couple hundred that night. So... I went right to Amazon and bought everything I needed. Nisha took that as a sign. And then I kind of went for it, but I wanted the word claws to be in it. And I was thinking of concepts and I was like, hmm, what about the closet? And I designed my boxes to look like little closets. And instead of clothes, she puts claws inside, but not the old school type with the messy glue that smells toxic and screams press on nails. These nails are art, clear with gold chains, pastels with 3D mini Valentine's candy hearts, bright yellow with sunflowers, pearls, and butterflies, not painted on, but tiny 3D replicas. Nisha's brand, The Closet, has been in billboards and ads, and for pretty impressive companies like Brandon Blackwell and The Sunglass Hut. Whereas Tamika's crochet business is her full-time job, Nisha still works as a teacher. It's scary letting go of a consistent paycheck for something that might not be as reliable. And that's a fear many black entrepreneurs have, especially considering many don't have generational wealth to act as a safety net. According to the Federal Reserve, the median net worth of white families is more than seven times higher than black families. That's something Jason Scott wants to change. So for me, it's always about how do you find the founders that are really changing the world and kind of changing the face of entrepreneurship. Jason is a startup executive for Google. He helps marginalize business owners. One of the programs he launched is an accelerator for black founders. For 12 weeks, black-led startups are mentored by Google experts. And that's really helpful because economists say the racial wealth gap isn't due to a lack of saving, but rather a discriminatory economic system that's prevented black families from getting or keeping capital. When you look at the people who have generational wealth across ethnicities, across geographies, etc., a lot of it comes from great investments that were made at some point. Like stocks, bonds, and real estate, investments that black folks were unable to participate participate in for much of history. After emancipation, black people obviously weren't getting equal opportunities on the job market. That continued through Jim Crow and beyond. Without higher paying jobs, many couldn't afford to risk investing. There's also the black community's long history of the mistrust of banks. Back in the 1800s, these institutions used enslaved people as collateral for defaulted loans. For example, J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the country's largest banks today, used over 10,000 enslaved people in this way. Historians have called the 1900s to the 1930s the golden age of black businesses because there was so much growth. But after Jim Crow and the intentional destruction of black homes, businesses, and towns, it came to an end. 
Fast forward to the end of the 20th century. Most Americans who were investing were doing it through retirement savings plans, like 401ks. But many people of color didn't have jobs that provided 401ks. And that's still true today. The Federal Reserve found in 2019, 65% of middle-aged white families had at least one retirement plan, compared to just 44% for black families. The lack of black-owned businesses is just one result of these structural inequalities. According to a 2022 report from The Lending Tree, just 2.4% of U.S. businesses have a black owner. 2.4%. It's hard to start a business without capital, also hard to grow a business without investments. Jason says people tend to invest in others that are most similar to them, which creates a big problem. There are biases that exist out there that I don't think that we we can really subconsciously overcome. And, and people tend to just trust people that have shared experiences or shared backgrounds or that they can personally relate to. And unfortunately, because there are so many check writers that kind of have a very similar shared experience, a lot of times those folks are going to just be more biased to invest in people similar to them. Erica Minahan is one of the co-founders of 1000 Angels, a firm that invests in startups led by women and other marginalized groups. She says people hold wealth through home ownership. You've got the boomers right now who kind of still own most of the wealth, and a lot of that was created, you know, in the 50s and 60s through affordable real estate ownership. White families were able to get bank loans. Black people were forced to rent. This was due to racist federal policies. In the 30s, the U.S. government was making efforts to ease the housing crisis, but this was largely segregated through redlining. Neighborhoods with black residents were rated D for hazardous. That means it was deemed a risk to insure mortgage loans there. If a black family was equally as qualified to purchase compared to a white family, they were locked out of the opportunity. Even the GI Bill, which vowed to help World War II veterans with housing, excluded black vets. Here's how. It promised low interest mortgage rates, but there was a major problem. The VA wasn't the ones administering the loans. Banks were. These were largely run by white people who had total authority to decide who to give loans to. More often than not, they didn't give home loans to black people. All of the work and effort that they put into making their communities better, more beautiful, all of that benefit ends up being captured by a different owner. Someone who had capital. Black folks often did not. That's been a very unfortunate sort of siphoning of value away from the black community and towards, you know, other folks who are like, oh, wow, you know, look at me. I invested in Brooklyn back in the the 70s and now I'm uber wealthy. Whereas, you know, all those people who are actually part of the community and, you know, making it sort of a cool place to be, weren't able to capture that. And then there's credit. Unfortunately, over the history of this country, I think that these communities have been unfairly targeted with predatory financial products. Um, And part of it is because, you know, the folks who are offering these products very often 
don't necessarily empathize with the communities that they're serving. And even if credit isn't a problem, data shows black businesses are more likely to be declined for small business loans. According to a report from the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, black people were asked more scrutinizing questions when applying for a loan. Nisha says she tried getting loans multiple times but never got them. It made her question if she was doing something wrong. I still don't understand why that matters on application so much. Like, why does it matter what race or ethnicity I am if I'm just trying to further my business like everybody else? This was even the case during the pandemic. A study found that Black small businesses were much more likely to get a COVID relief loan when applying online rather than through a bank. The belief is that automated systems eliminate the human bias that often happens face-to-face. In Nisha's case, she was left to figure out how to make it work without a lot of extra capital. Sometimes it got to the point where, you know, if I took money from my savings or or if I used my credit card, I would just try to be responsible about it. Like I would say, okay, well, if I spend this amount, I'm going to make sure I'm making that amount plus more where I can put it back or I can pay off my debts and still have more money. Okay, so what's the solution? I think it's going to also be just a natural slow progress that I hope to chip away (laughs) a little bit in my lifetime. It will require people to, one, be persistent in their kind of intentionality, I guess, when it comes to this, but two, also continue to do that even when it's not, for lack of better words, in vogue, right? (laughs) Not not the thing that, like, that is kind of the hip, cool thing everyone now has. The new hire that's focused on diversity, equity, inclusion within their products or in their teams and things like that, but that's probably not always going to be the case, right? Unfortunately, it took a huge set of unfortunate situations, I would say, over the last few years to really kind of put the spotlight on that. But at the same time, my hope is that we can we can stay persistent and diligent in this. Step one, financial literacy. It's crazy to me that in early education <laughs> that no one teaches you about investing or taxes or any of those things, right? Because you could take advantage of those things from the moment you have your very first job, right? Another crucial step is connecting black startups to the capital they need because there is money. A lot of people want to give back. I am a thousand percent confident that, you know, the black community is making every possible effort to you know, harness their creativity, harness the resources that they do have to help help one another. Jason thinks this can be helped by giving black people more opportunities to learn to invest. By having programs like teaching people angel investing who don't come from backgrounds where angel investing is common knowledge. Erica says in order to grow, you have to get others to believe in your vision. How can you convey your story to other people, right, to investors, to customers, to clients, in the best way that they're excited to become part of your vision? Are there challenges? Of course. But Jason says there's a priceless value in knowing the needs and wants of your community. Look at the opportunities within your community because the dollars and the amount of wealth just within that community is huge. And so it's like, what are the opportunities that I can solve that or that I can build that solve a problem for my community? And let me be the first one to do it because I know it better than anyone. Right. And take advantage of that. What your kind of secret sauces because you have that in, that insider's perspective. Something both Tamika and Nisha have. My dolls, I make sure I have different hair textures, different skin tones. One of my first nail sets I made had Tiana Taylor on them and 
it was a picture of her and her daughter. And I posted it because I love Tiana Taylor. I was so inspired by her growing up. And one of her best friends, Karen Civil, was actually on Twitter. And she happened to come across the tweet of the nails and she hit me up. That best friend Karen purchased a ton of Nisha's claws as gifts for Tiana's baby shower and to wear to the Met Gala after party. When I first started, I did a lot of manifesting. I literally spoke everything I ever wanted into existence. I would tweet something and it would happen. Like I would tweet, I want Kiki Palmer in my nails. And then Kiki Palmer reached out to me. I tweeted, I want Cardi B to notice me. And it happened. She's also gotten a shout out from Megan Thee Stallion, making her a force among nail techs. We're seeing more and more black businesses pop up every day partly due to people like Tamika paying it forward. I am using my knowledge to help or show other people that they can do what I do. As for Nisha, she's still figuring out how to make the closet her full-time career. I love being a teacher. I've always loved it. But the pandemic made me kind of go for my dreams more. And it made me so hopeful. And it gave me so much time to work on my craft that now being back to work full-time, I can't really give all that time to my business like I want to. And she's hopeful not just for success, but to be able to help others grow. People are always asking advice, and it's so hard to get back to everybody sometimes, but I'll try my best. And, like, I'll let people know, like, you just gotta keep, you gotta be a number one fan. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond Black History Month. Please subscribe if you're enjoying our series. Also, rate and review our podcast. It helps us in the podcast rankings. Beyond Black History Month is a special production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. Special thanks to producers John Davis, Jill Webb, and Dempsey Palat. Andy Egan Thorpe is our audio engineer. Tim Shout is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager. And I'm managing producer of podcasts and host Famie Redwood. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.